discussing eating disorders and excessive exercise is like the elephant in the room, that people within the fitness industry and in the community know that they exist but don't understand how to raise the issue if there is a concern with somebody they know. You're listening to The Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, eating disorder survivor and campaigner Eleni Salakis talks acknowledging problem behaviours, the danger of equating body image with physical and mental health, and why fitness professionals are really health professionals, with Network's Catherine Wean. All right, so we'd like to kick off today with a podcast with Eleni. So welcome, Eleni, to the Fitness Industry Podcast. We're going to be talking about eating disorders in the fitness industry. So Eleni, tell me, what inspired you to put this information together for the fitness industry? Oh, there's multiple answers to that question, but um, I'll start with my own personal experience from the ages of 18 to about 20. I had anorexia. I was down to 39 kilos and it was the threat of going into hospital and on bed rest and force feeding that frightened me so much that I knew I had to do something about this but at the same time was frightened too. So I stopped all my cardio and began resistance training for the first time and that was in the early 80s. So I physically recovered and in my final year of my PA degree, I did a case study on two teenage girls. One had anorexia and one had bulimia and it was, I used the same weight training program that I had on myself and that was based on work by Professor Peter Beaumont who was one of Australia's pioneers in prescribed exercise for people with eating disorders. So I was under his guidance for a little while Mm -hmm. and it was reading his material that inspired me to look at how you can use exercise, which is often a means of purging or a compensatory behaviour for a lot of eating disorders if it can be used in a positive way to get healthy results rather than unhealthy, Mm -hmm. then I wanted to have a look at that. And that was like 30 years ago. And then, so I physically recovered. And then in 2007, I was diagnosed with severe clinical depression, placed on antidepressants and had psychological help for the first time. And it was at that point that I'd wished I had psychological help in my teenage years, because a lot of the trouble that I faced in my latter life could have been dealt with if the underlying issues that caused the eating disorder mm-hmm. were treated in the first place. So I see discussing eating disorders and excessive exercise is like the elephant in the room, that people within the fitness industry and in the community know that they exist, but don't understand how to 
raise the issue if there is a concern with somebody they know and how they can help somebody cross the line back into a healthy thought pattern. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing in the fitness industry and in the community and within our family and friends what communication we can listen for, what behaviours to look for and what signs that might not be so apparent to look for that we might be able to approach somebody and help them. So with Fitness Network last year, I've been working alongside a doctor from the Centre for Eating and Diet Disorders and I'm reviewing her guidelines that they wrote in 2004 for the fitness industry. And I was asked to head up a steering committee of key fitness organisations to review these guidelines. So with Australia's fit- Australian Fitness Network, we put out a survey last year and 93% of the people that responded said that they believed that someone that was extremely thin may have a problem with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. 53% thought that people who were of normal weight did not struggle with an eating disorder. And 19% thought that people that were extremely overweight may not have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So that clearly showed that a lot of people in the fitness industry believe, and in the community, Mm -hmm. believe that eating disorders are based on body shape and size. And it is totally negating the mental health issue. And they are mental health issues. And they manifest as body image issues because someone just uses their dieting and it and exercise behaviours to manage something they don't know how to manage. And it's often an emotional issue, Mm. nothing to do with diet or exercise. So that indicated to me through the results of this survey that if we try to, if we focus on eating disorders and excessive exercise as body image issues Mm -hmm. and treat them as body image issues, you are compounding what the sufferer is already focusing on. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's probably going to make it worse. Or get us nowhere, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and another thing was that came out of this survey, 31% of the people that participated in the survey responded that they themselves had suffered from an eating disorder, disordered eating or excessive exercise, and that's within the fitness industry. Yeah. That's of the people that responded. So I'm wondering how many are suffering with these issues that didn't respond because there is a lot of shame Mm -hmm. and guilt and maybe even denial that there is a problem. So if the fitness industry just focuses on shape and body weight, they are missing the point of health. Yeah. And so on that, when you spoke about it being a mental health issue Mm -hmm. and creating awareness around how to communicate with these people or identify or pick up, or if you see someone who's excessively thin or exercising a lot or showing signs of a change in that direction potentially mm-hmm. how how do you communicate with someone in a way that's going to make them open up as opposed to as opposed to getting defensive about their mm-hmm. situation if they've got a little bit of a subconscious awareness around that that they are exercising a lot or calorie controlling they have to have that control or need to do that if someone approaches them how do you approach them in a way that won't make them get defensive about their situation mm. 
I think if you place yourself in any situation where someone is going to ask you something that you know is going to arc your defences up, mm-hmm. it's the way in which it's delivered. Mm-hmm. And having rapport and a relationship with somebody to the level where you feel you can ask the question in a manner that is non-judgmental, that is caring to say that you are concerned about their health, not to pinpoint the food or the excessive exercise, mm-hmm. not even mention those words, but mention that you are concerned for them and for their health and well-being. Yes, they might get defensive, but at the same time, I remember when I was struggling with anorexia, there was the constant battle of not wanting to behave like that but too scared to give up those behaviours and to have someone come alongside me where I felt like I didn't have to do it myself was a relief. So, yes, they might get arced up initially, mm-hmm. but if you keep having that compassionate, non-judgmental attitude and have the door open, then they're going to go away and think about that you were concerned enough and cared for them enough to, to mention something. Yeah. So it might be difficult, yeah, but it might just be the conversation starter and it's better than not saying anything at all. Yeah. Because research shows that young girls and women aged 18 to 25, if they are into severe dieting for more than six months, they're 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder. So if you can mention something earlier rather than later, you might be... Like putting a block up to a whole lot more trouble. Yeah. Yeah, so don't be frightened to have that conversation. And that's why it's important as fitness professionals that we do get to know our clients and build that relationship. It's part of our, you know, Cert 3 training to build rapport. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's... Compassion. That's compassion. I also teach... I taught Certificate 3 and 4 Fitness face-to-face for a year and now I continue to teach it online and... It's amazing to see in some of the responses to questions within the course that still focus just on the physical side of health, whereas, you know, the World Health Organization definition for health is mental health, social health and physical health, Mm. and none of them are disordered. Mm. So there's a relationship between the three. So. If we, if we see ourselves as health professionals, we have to consider all those aspects of health and not just the body. Yeah. Mm. It's a bit of a, bit of a battle, I guess, being in the industry where it is so, you know, visually and, you know, aesthetically Mm. judgmental, but also, you know, you want to portray that image. Mm. So there is going to be, you know, a higher level of awareness and care around that than other industries. So it's kind of fun in that fine line where, yes, I want to look after myself and my health in a positive way as opposed to displaying a certain image and really having that control and, like, feel that they need to maintain that that could be detrimental to their health. Does that make sense? So it's kind of fine that that balance. balance. And it's definitely what it is. It's a fine line. And I think for any of our clients and also our colleagues to understand the motivation for why they behave a certain way. So someone might think that they're, you know, they're eating really healthy and that they're exercising so many hours a day. But is that their definition of health? 
is it really healthy or is it unhealthy? Mm. So finding that balance and I think that the crossing the line to unhealthy happens in your thought life first because you start acting on what you believe of yourself. Mm. And if those thoughts are negative, then you're going to try and make yourself feel better mm. with whatever works for you and you think that is healthy yeah. because it's serving a purpose mm. for you at that time. Mm. So breaking those behaviours, if they've been long-term, is going to be a lot more difficult. And again, in the fitness industry with um, the rise of you know, figure and physique and bikini competitions and the amount of competitors on stage, and I compete myself, to if someone competes multiple times a year, I would be concerned as to why because they're putting their bodies through and their their mind through stress constantly. Yeah. So, again, to understand the motivation, why do we do what we do? Yeah, Mm. so valid information, so interesting. Okay, so what are some ways, or if if eating orders are a serious mental health issue, then how does managing clients within these issues fit the scope of practice for fitness professionals? Mm. In the fitness industry, we train ourselves to put together customised programs for our clients. If mental health is part of somebody's health, then it fits the scope of practice that we are putting together a customised program to benefit our client. Within the scope of practice, screening, our screening forms are part of that. And we are so used to screening for medication, physical injuries, what our exercise patterns have been. I don't know of many screening forms that include mental health practices. So if we screen for physical health, maybe it's time we start screening in in a really careful way Mm. using questions and picking the timing of when to screen for mental health issues within our screening process so it fits the scope of practice in that way. Mm. Using allied health professionals The purpose of this, my presentation tomorrow, does not place all the responsibility on the fitness industry to fix eating disorders. Mm. It's not going to work because they are such complex issues. Mm. But unless we see ourselves as health professionals working with other allied health professionals, we, you know, we're not going to see ourselves as part of a team and go, I'm not even going to bother going there because it's outside of my scope. But if we, if we have a client with a physical injury, we refer them to a physio or to an osteo or to their GP if they've got signs of diabetes or asthma or high blood pressure. So it's exactly the same with eating disorders. Mm. And there are so many organisations, you know, within our reach that can refer us to a psychologist that specialises with eating disorders, mm-hmm. even to organisations like the Butterfly Foundation and the Centre for Eating and Diet Disorders, or as first port of call, GP, just like you would someone with a physical injury. Yeah. yeah. Just on that, do you think the word disorders should be changed? Like if I want to refer you to, a, to an eating disorder psychologist, mm-hmm. do you think that would go, you know, like if I was to approach someone who has an injury that's beyond my knowledge and my scope, I'm going to refer you to a physio or, you know, a chiro or whatever. Do you think if if it's alerted that they have a a mental health issue, if if this screening comes through or anything like that, that you pick up if that's sort of an area that you're aware of with Mm -hmm. your private clients, 
I don't know, is the word disordered going to maybe be a bit like, I don't want to see someone like that. You know, is there a word we could use that would make them more open to being acknowledging, yeah, you know what, I need some help with this because I, yeah, I am obsessed with my exercise or I'm obsessed with my food intake or anything like that. What do you think about that? Oh, definitely. Because I I don't know, in the diagnostic criteria Mm -hmm. for the five major eating disorders, they are called eating disorders. Yeah. And I think that in itself, people just go, no, I'm not going to acknowledge that I have a problem Mm. or I'm not going to acknowledge that someone else has a problem. Mm. So, yeah, definitely I use the term eating disorders because that's what the, you know, (laughs) diagnostic criteria in the medical world labels them as. And and in there lies the problem, Mm. what we label ourselves as Mm. because I remember I used to call it my eating disorder. And the moment I dropped my was the best thing ever because that's not my identity. And for someone to stay in that headspace is not going to help them move on. So one of the organisations in the city that does help people with excessive dieting and exercise issues is called Shape Your Mind Psychologists. And that to me is like perfect because it doesn't mention a label Mm -mm. But you cannot separate the power of the mind and how it manifests on our behaviours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Mm. All right, so tell us what are some ways that people can tell if someone has a problem with an eating disorder, disordered eating or or excessive exercise? Obviously, if you're in a gym setting, like a a fitness centre where you've got people with memberships coming in, Mm -hmm. you'll notice that the amount of time somebody comes in, how many hours they spend a day and the kind of activity that they're doing. Mm -hmm. That's just one obvious way. That's if people are alerted to that and think that it's unhealthy. So, again, what our own definitions of health Mm -hmm. comes into play. So if we are behaving the same way, we might not recognise that some of our clients are doing something that is not healthy. So understanding this in our own behaviour as well as looking out for clients is going to be the key issue. Also listening to the way people talk and you've probably heard it yourself when someone says, oh, you know, I ate two Snickers bars this morning so I'm going to run an extra hour on the treadmill. Come back for a second session. Come, or, or someone that says, oh, I lost three kilos. I, you know, had a, a bit of a vomit last night, but, you know, I only do it every now and then. That's an alarm signal. Mm. That's not healthy. And for anyone that is using compensatory behaviours like purging, use of laxatives, and they're doing cardio, they're putting themselves at major health risks with cardiac problems and endocrine problems because of the imbalance that they're causing just by doing those compensatory behaviours and then exercising on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the hormonal thing is a really big thing as well. Females don't really realise the extent or the damage that they could be doing, you know, to their body for their hormonal system, the endocrine system, um, their cycle, all that kind of stuff with, with, you know, excessive exercise. And, yeah, that sort of you know, those things might not take happen overnight, but, mm. you know, over time of this rep- repetitive oh. behaviours of excessive cardio and then restrictive dieting, you know, they're going to find themselves with, you know, damage that they've done 
internally to their body that they're not aware of that they could be causing. Oh, totally. And that's but when during my time struggling with anorexia, I didn't have my cycle for five years. Mm-hmm. I because we've become so shape and body conscious, we're looking at the outside and just totally forgetting and not even caring what's going on inside because yeah. the most important thing has become how we look. Yeah. And you know, there's over 41 million posts with a hashtag Fitzbo. That to me says how obsessed we are mm. with how we look. And with all the social media now that we have access to, Instagram, Facebook, you know, everyone mm. wants to be posting. It's all about their looks, right? Their um, looks and how many likes they get. Yeah. But, and we're all subject to it. But it's how much of your self-worth you place mm. on those things because you can't, it's like um, what was said in the keynote speaker this morning, the talk or the communication that we hear every day within our own mind is the most important communication we have because you can't escape it. Mm. So if your self-worth is low and you are faced with images where you think your worth is going to be tied up with how much exercise you do, how little you eat or how much you eat if you're struggling with binge eating. And that's, again, that complicates the message because, as I said before, 93% of people that responded to this survey thought that thin people had a problem with an eating disorder. Binge eating is a diagnosed eating disorder and most people with binge eating are overweight. So you cannot say that it's just the thin end of the spectrum that has an eating disorder. It can be anyone in between. Massively. Mm. Look at the biggest loser people. Do they not have an eating disorder? And they're the other end of the scale. Or someone that is is normal weight, someone who struggles with bulimia or a binge purge cycle Mm -hmm. could appear to be normal weight, yet what they're doing to their bodies is so destructive. Yeah. And it's because of what's going on in, inside. inside. Yeah. 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 All right. Last question, Eleni. What do you see as some of the issues that fitness professionals need to be aware of? I think the things that we've covered is that they are. They should be aware that they're not that eating disorders, disordered eating, and excessive exercise is not limited to a certain body shape or weight. Mm-hmm. That they can affect anybody and any age. Also, they need to be aware that people will hide the problem because there is a lot of guilt and shame associated with having, as we said, a disorder, (laughs) and they might not even recognise it themselves. So they may hide it. So it will be very hard to pick up. But if you are aware of little things to look for, then it makes it easier to focus. And I think that's what I'm hoping people will get through this education is that they learn to shift their focus on listening to what people say rather than looking at just what they're doing and thinking that it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And that goes for our own behaviour within the fitness industry. So what messages are we giving mm-hmm. and what do we think is healthy and unhealthy? So shifting the post to define why we're in the industry, is it just purely to get up on stage and compete? (laughs) 
Is it to have the perfect body so you can match up with somebody that's got, you know, a million followers on Instagram? Mm -hmm. Or is it for health? So the implication for us is why did we enter the fitness industry in the first place? Is it to improve people's health? Mm. And I'm hoping that that's what people get passionate about is total health, mm. including mental, physical and social health. Yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Eleni, thank you so much for your time. Invaluable information and so inspiring and eye-opening. What you've, what you've said has just been really fantastic to give us more of an insight into, you know, it's bigger than the visual and the aesthetic looks of someone like many eating disorders are uh, I guess, you know, behind behind closed doors because they're inside, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, using language to, to pick up on those things and behaviours and, you know, those little key things that you could sort of make a note of as a red flag for any clients I think will be, yeah, it will be really good information. So mm-hmm. thank you for your time this afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you. For a huge range of online courses for fitness professionals, including Insights into Mental Health and Exercise and Food for Thought, Eating and Exercise for Mental Health, head to the network website. Courses are fully accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, and network members get massive discounts of up to 40% off. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au forward slash CECs today to grow your skill set and fitness career.